Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. Aaron Spelling, no one's up there with Aaron. <laughs> and he told me when he lectured one of my classes, he said that for five years, he wrote every single day, five and a half days a week. When he he's drive his father's furniture truck in the morning, he drove, wrote for five years and he never sold anything. But he was honing his craft. Welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. Um, as I like to do in every uh, one of these uh, podcasts, I like to tell sort of a story that sort of relates to the person that I'm sitting across. And, um, and this story involves myself and our guest today, Peter Engel. Um, we uh, worked together, which we'll talk about on a, on a show called Last Comic Standing. That was a, an incredible experience for both of us in, in many ways. Uh, had a lot of ups and downs. And this story sort of goes about how it is when you're in the business and sometimes you have those moments where you feel like you're in control and sometimes you have those moments where you feel like you're not in control and mixed in are moments where there's people who are telling you things that are true and other times when people are telling you things that are not true and you have to decipher and navigate and figure out ways to get the information you need uh, any way you can. And Peter was a master at that and uh, I was just happy to be learning from uh, one of the best in the business. And um, what happened was uh, I had gotten an email from a young man who said, listen, um, why don't you think about doing a show like Last Comic Standing with celebrity impersonators? And I thought, hmm, that sounds like a great idea. So I went to our business affairs person and I had him do a deal with this young man to lock up the idea so I wasn't going to be in any legal ramifications. And 
we did the deal and I immediately, I was having breakfast every Thursday morning with Peter. Uh, I loved my Thursday morning breakfasts and I came to the Thursday morning breakfast every time I'd come with a bunch of ideas for Peter. I'd have a list of ideas every single week and every week he'd say, nah, no, 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 too small. No, no, that's not going to happen. Barry, what's wrong with you? And, um, but I would always try and keep being persistent because I wanted to do more with him because I really enjoyed my experiences with him on Last Comic Standing. And so I pitch him the idea of this thing called The Imposter, which was Last Comic Standing for Celebrity Impersonators. And, uh, for the first time, he liked it, he thought it was great, and he suggested we go forward and make a sizzle reel. And we started reaching out to all these different celebrity impersonators and we got all these tapes and VHS tapes and three quarter inch tapes. And we made a reel for the show that was really, really wonderful and funny. But honestly, because of the quality of all these uh, people's tapes, it was probably one of the lowest quality tapes sizzle reels that I'd ever done in my life but true to form like they say you don't turn off the Academy Awards because of the backdrop it was such a unique and special idea that had never been done before that it was wonderful and so because we were at NBC with Last Comic Standing and we had had a lot of ups and downs uh, my thought was is that we go to the other networks and we don't go to NBC because they've been so up and down and it's been a little dodgy. But Peter, his roots were at NBC. And, you know, he said, look, we'll just go to NBC. Kevin Riley's there and uh, he's a good friend of mine. And uh, and we've uh, known each other our whole careers. And so uh, we go to NBC and we uh, show the uh, sizzle reel to Craig Plestis, the head of um, reality. And they seem to love it. Uh, they seemed to want to do it. They actually were talking about episodes, lots of episodes. And it got us excited about it. And then throughout certain episodes, they were taping at Last Comic Standing. It was a big year. We were at the Pasadena Playhouse where we were selling out 3,000 people and turning people away. Craig would come up to us and it seemed like to me like one day he'd come up to us and it, it, we thought we had like eight episodes and then the next day he'd come up and he'd be like, listen, I thought of that. We got six. And then the next time he'd come up to us and we'd have less. And, and, and then it was a situation where we felt like he was jerking us around and he was saying that it was a show that they really didn't want to do. Um, so Peter, in his ultimate wisdom, and I said, let's just go to the other networks. Let's go. He's like, no, I'm going to find out the truth about this. And he called up his friend, Kevin Riley, who he was meeting the next day. And he sat down with him and he asked him about it. He said, I don't know what you're talking about. I, I, I like that idea. And uh, listen, I'll, if you want, I'll give you eight episodes of the show to make the show, which is unheard of in, in the business. Normally, you have to do some kind of pilot or do whatever. And so... Then we're set to go to the finale or something at the Pasadena Playhouse. And Craig Plestis has no idea that Peter's met with Kevin Riley. So that's the fun part of the business. When you have information and other people don't have the information. And so Craig Plestis comes up and he says, listen, I just have to tell you. I mean, I've talked to Kevin about this and 
we're prepared to offer you a pilot with a penalty. Now, for those of you who don't know, a penalty would be like if they don't do the pilot, there'd some be some financial thing that they'd give you this little amount of money so you know that they have an incentive to pick it up. But it's not full episodes. So you had pilot and penalty. And Peter knew in his heart what Kevin had already told him. But he knew there was something fishy going on, and uh, he got mad at Craig Plestis, and I was just standing there, and, and Craig Plestis said to Peter and I, said, what are you talking about? What are you, what are you worrying about? It's, just, it's like getting a little bit pregnant. Peter looked at me and said, Barry, say whatever you want, buddy. You can say whatever you want. And there was a, a woman was with Peter at the time, and I, and I looked at Craig Plestis, and I looked at Peter, and I said, it's not like getting a little bit pregnant, Craig. It's like coming on a woman's face. <laughs> and he looked at me like I had stepped in some kind of bad animal feces. And Peter walked away. Melanie, his friend, walked away. And Craig walked away. And I was standing there alone. And I thought to myself, oh, this might not have been the best thing to say at the time. I might have to go to human resources. But Peter knew something all along that I didn't understand that he had set up a meeting the next day with ABC with Steve McPherson, the president. And in his mind, he knew if we, if Peter and I could get in the room with McPherson, we wouldn't have to worry about anything I said. And we went to ABC the next day and we pitched the show to Steve McPherson and we went down the elevator and in the parking lot, Peter Engel's phone rings, and it's Steve McPherson, and he says, guys, don't take any more pitches. I'm going to guarantee you nine episodes at a million dollars apiece. Here we go in three, two. This show will have laughter. I got everybody pregnant with Barry Katz and semen. I'm not comfortable with the tone this is taking. If you're undeniable, you will not be denied. If you want to be successful in show business, you get yourself a Jew white manager like Barry Katz. <laughs> Being a manager is just turning no's into yeses. Creating holy shit moments. Undeniable. You fucking firing me up, Katz. I love this man. Is there anything else I should know? You're on. What? Now the air. Barry Katz. Back in the house. 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 Let's do this. I want to share something about you that a lot of people don't know. When you did your deal at NBC, uh, what's fascinating about you and a lot of executives and producers envied you is you did a deal at NBC that was unprecedented. Um, it was a deal that is, doesn't even come close to existing today and no one has it and no one ever will again. We just talk briefly about. Well, it didn't happen right away. I know, but we just talk briefly because what happens is, is that if you experience success and you can get to where you need to go, and people know they have to have what you have. Again, uh, part of the theme of this podcast is where you can have people by the okay. balls. Okay, Brandon left. I went through nine. Pre I was had nine presidents of NBC in the twenty years I was exclusive to them. Almost 20 years. <laughs> I had Brandon. <laughs> I had Warren Littlefield for a brief moment. I had Don Allmeyer. I had Scott Sasser. I had, <laughs> I, I had Garth. Anseer. Garth Anseer. I, I had Zucker. <laughs> I had Gaspin. And I had Ben Sullivan. <laughs> 
And when Don Olmeyer came, when Brandon left, I was was very distraught because Brandon felt he had been pushed out, and he was actually doing a guest spot on on Saved by the Bell. He said, why do you want me? I said, I can't get anyone else. And Bob Wright, he was in the dressing room, was in his dressing room trying to talk him out of leaving. Bob Wright at the He's time was the chairman of yeah. uh, NBC. And I went up there finally and said, Brandon, I need you in makeup. <laughs> Bob, and Bob's daughter was on the show that week. I put her in, too. And I said, Brandon, I need you in makeup. Bob, in all due respect, you're costing me money. <laughs> and Bob, look at me. No one says that to me. <laughs> you're costing me money, Bob. That, that he understood. <laughs> and and Brandon left. And when Don Olmeyer came in, uh, we weren't. Uh, we were already doing. We were doing. Saved by the Bell in California Dreams, which was a stepchild. It was a shame. This was a great show. We wrote seventy-eight original songs, and when Don came in, I had heard him being a locker room brawler, bully kind of guy, and and I really um, was concerned that we, things were going so well that maybe they wouldn't go so well, right? And and I really didn't know him well. We met, but I didn't really know him. And one day I'm in the commissary. This is in the book. You'll love it. And I used to take the first day of pre-production, I'd take the writers to the Peacock Room. And we, you know, the rest of the time I'd send food in so they wouldn't keep writing. And we're sitting there, and Don Olmeyer comes walking, and he kneels, and he kisses my ring. And I go... Does everybody here know uh, Don Olmeyer, <laughs> president of it? And it turned out that they had, it was his first pilot season, and they were $10 million short on two pilots. And in the meeting, just before he came down, someone from NBC Productions said, well, we just got $10 million in from Europe last night on Saved by the Bell. And... Um, uh, why don't we just put that money? Of course, I had a small piece. If I had the piece I had later on, I'd own this building with you. <laughs> <laughs> and Which you own already. <laughs> Excuse me. And, and he then, well, what's this about? Say, well, he comes down, and then I was his guy. I was, I was Don's guy. He said, you have two shows, I want you to have four. When I had four, he said, I want you to have six, and we ended up with six. So talk about the deal okay. that you the and your deal. attorney, uh, yeah, Ernie Dell, yeah. who's one of the okay. greatest attorneys yeah. in, in the history of this town. Because okay. I think uh, this is a side of the business that you don't get to hear okay. about, and uh, and I think it's important. Uh, we have the creative side, but before you get to the creative side, sometimes the business okay. side is what I takes I made you. the worst deal when I came there. As I say, as I said, if I had, I, I'm not complaining. We've been beautifully on Saved by the Bell, but I wasn't a major participant. I was the only participant, but I wasn't a major one. And it was 1997. We had six, six shows shooting and the King brothers wanted me and, and NBC had no options. Now the King Brothers explain to our King audience. World. They do King Oprah. World. Yep. They did, yep. well, Oprah does Oprah now, but they always distributed Oprah. Yeah, and they they were the biggest guys in syndication. And they saw what Saved by the Bell had done in syndication, and I went over to their offices, and they wanted to buy me and my company. And we realized NBC had no more options. And when Ernie Dell went to see Don Ollie, he went berserk. How could you do this to us? And I knew I wasn't going to go with them. I had six shows shooting with NBC. 
and we we were family and everyone's winning and and what happened was that um we wanted a five-year deal and we wanted 50 percent of everything without distribution fees now so we, now i want you to explain, explain this okay. because this is going everyone to... wonders about how much do you have of the profits it's what you define as profits what is profits after what do you, can you take off this can they take off this they can take off this they can take off 50 percent 40 percent 30 percent of distribution fees known as forrest gump accounting right. where the right. the movie made 300 so, billion million right. dollars so, so what it is, is definition so under our new deal which would not apply to bell unfortunately again i'm not complaining because i still get residuals and profits for a show i did 20 years ago um we got 50% of adjusted gross. That meant that the only things they could take off was actual costs. No distribution fees. Foreigners usually 40, domestic 30. That means when Jay Moore and I were partners on Last Comic Standing, every dime that came in, we got more than them because our 50 was worth more than their 50. Which is maybe one of the reasons why they fucked with us all the time, because we were making all the money. And that, that not on the advertising, not on the air, but on the afterlife. But Peter's deal was so incredible that on Last Comic Standing, he was making more money than the network on the show. Think oh, on about, the, on, not on the original. But you think not, about not that. Not on the advertising. Yeah, we were making more money because we had no costs. They could take actual costs and some minor... Uh, and I wouldn't let them go over budget. I remember the network is saying, "We want uh, f fuck you. We're not spending more money. <laughs> Usually it's the other way around. They're yelling at you. You're not spending. You can't spend that money. I'm yelling at the finance guys. We're not spending that. If you want that, go to the network and get it. <laughs> You're spending my money. So it was a total reverse. They were spending my money. And, um, and I wouldn't let them. And uh, and your client and friend, my friend, uh, we we did great, amazing. Uh, and that deal will never be done again. And they're right. You were the last person to ever have that deal. Yeah. Um. All right. So let's move on to. I some... got to get back to the ocean. I don't, I'm going to get the bends if I'm in town. Too you can long. see the ocean from do you here. Remember the bends? Want... Yes, I do. I remember <laughs> that show. Uh, was it uh, with Lloyd Bridges underneath the water? Sea hunt. <laughs> Um, let's talk about some holy shit moments. Okay. All right? Yeah. All right. Let's ask some honest questions. Okay. What's your proudest professional moment in your career? When I lie down and ran into the cop's <laughs> office. <laughs> the proudest moment, one of the proudest moments, oddly enough, was on uh, Last Comic Standing. When Josh Blue, who you found... This uh, is an interesting story. Uh, just break in here. Sure. I, um, at times in my uh, life and my career, I have this kind of like, I don't know what it is, the psychic or thing that happens How with me. How about its ability? <laughs> okay, ability. And I had uh, seen a, uh, a video of Josh Blue, and I remember... Um, I made a DVD of the uh, his set, and I came to the very first meeting at Last Comic Standing, a place where I never was welcome. It was the fourth year. 
the fourth year, a place where I was never welcome at Saturday, uh, of, of uh, Last Comic Standing, but Peter somehow always maneuvered a way where I wouldn't get fired every year. Even was, after Jay was gone. <laughs> yeah, even after Jay was gone. Every year they would have meetings. Okay, we're going to fire Barry. And then the meeting would happen afterwards the first day. And I'd be there and they're like, what the fuck is Barry doing there? They're like, I, I don't know. Didn't you tell him? You, producer. you didn't tell him. <laughs> and so I remember I, you guys were talking and I took the disc and I slid it across the table, and I remember it was turning around and around and stopped in the middle, and I said, that's going to be the guy who's going to win the show this year. And everybody looked at me and said, what, are you going to fix it again, Barry, as one of your clients? I said, no, it's not one of my no, clients. It's a, it's a kid, that's right. <laughs> it's a kid from Denver, and it happened to be Josh Blue, and he happened to win the show that year. But anyway, go well, on. Happened when, well, that was a holy shit moment for me. I'll tell you about it in a second. But Barry never was in the room. I never, I never was allowed in the room. People always thought I was in the room mm -hmm. making the decisions right. for Last Comic Standing, and people thought I was fixing things. And NBC made me sign a 66-page contract saying that, <laughs> saying that I was not allowed to manage anybody. I was not allowed to do anything. I was not allowed to financially participate in anything. I just had to be there as like a, uh, I don't know what I was. but And Jay wasn't allowed in the room. That's right. As the host. Um so what happened was, we I see the kid in New York. I think he was in New York, wasn't he? That's where we he auditioned, and I said this kid, kid is great. And we always talked about holy shit moments, right? And we're getting we get down to the sem we get down to the semifinals. Which ten are going to the boat? That year was a boat. The yeah, that's Bay. right. That's another place that I one of my great ideas that uh, probably wasn't so great. It wasn't great. But it, sounded, it sounded great, though. The Queen Mary, that piece of crap. The rooms are the midget rooms. That was my big. That was my big pitch that year to keep a job, and that's what. Right, the... but but it sounded great. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so we're doing the semifinals in Vegas. Yeah, at and, the Paris Hotel. And at the Paris Hotel, and I'm in the editing room because the semis weren't live. Uh, they we could edit them, right? And because we voted, the judges and me and the network, and and not the not America yet, and so there was no worry. You know, we saw the we saw the whole set, and we're I'm in editing, and Josh Blue is getting his key to the boat, whatever your passport to the boat, and as he's coming out to get it, I said, put it in slow motion, <laughs> and you put the kid in slow motion <laughs> with cerebral palsy. And all of a sudden, every my you get the hat stands up on your arms. You know, it was that holy shit moment. And we won an award from the uh, governor for that. And I remember my speech. Josh Blue taught us not to be afraid of people who were different. And Josh Blue did not win because he was uh, handicapped. He won because he was the funniest. So that was a great moment. Holy shit moment was uh, uh, Saved by the Bell was. <laughs> Five six years of holy shit moments. Tell me, uh, if, we if all of the episodes were drowning in the ocean and you can only save one that you'd put in a time capsule, I can't do that. Yes, you can. No, my fam, my kids, and my everyone will kill me for it. A uh, risky business, <laughs> risky business. When we did a takeoff on um, on risky business, where Screech's mother's going. For her anniversary, which was Ruth Buzzy, <laughs> great, great casting, to Graceland. 
and she put Zach in charge of the house. That's like putting Hitler in charge of the Jews. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering how long it'd be before he worked in Hitler. Well, I have a chapter in the book, Hitler, I'm so over you. <laughs> I told you about that. Well, you t- you got to just break in here for a second about the Hitler things if the Hitler wasn't because uh, this is. Well, Hitler had a big influence on my life. I was a little kid when I found out about the Holocaust, that all my relatives were being killed, right? So Hitler's had the biggest influence on my life. I knew about more about Hitler than anything. And so I'm writing the book, and Stephen says, what are you going to do about Hitler? Stephen is his son. My son who's rewriting him, the genius. And I mean the genius. And so I said, I'll write a letter, letter to Hitler. Hitler, I am so over you. Thanks for fucking up my childhood. I always I thought it was my mother. Thanks for ruining camp. Thanks for every time I go to the doctor, I think of Mengele. <laughs> Thanks for fucking up the Olympics. <laughs> sure, you had your Olympics and you fucked everyone else. <laughs> that's, so that's that chapter. But anyway, so Zach's in charge. And of course, the boys are doing the air guitar and they have the statues. And it turned out that was Tori Spellings first of like eight. And... Um, and it was a great episode where they sell Berkeley to some guy without telling her because they lost the dog, hound dog, in a poker game. It was a great episode. It was it was, it was one of my favorites. Like, around when I did 35 colleges, uh, they would ask me that, and I would say, what's your favorite? Got and it. including my daughter, they all liked the thing called Jessie's Song, where she took no dose and acted like she was on heroin. <laughs> and, it was, and it's funny, but it was a favorite episode when I would go around uh, – go around the college campuses but another holy shit moment i remember we we would we were i was away and we were doing something in new york and and jeff gaspin said to me who was then the president of nbc he he said to me don't you miss us i said i miss this not you guys (laughs) (laughs) that's great tell me your biggest professional disappointment First pilot, primetime pilot I did, it got on the air. I was at Universal. I had great writers. Harvey Miller did Private Benjamin. Jerry Belson, legendary, would come in and punch up. And it was called Sirota's Court. And NBC, we did the pilot. We got on for mid-season 13. We actually did 20 of them. Fred Willard's first job. It was based on Judge Sirica, who put the Watergate guys in jail. Uh under Nixon, uh, Nixon thing. So what happened was, it was very social. In fact, Frank, we go on the air, and remember, NBC and their brilliant wisdom, and I think one of the networks did it, put a f- four half hours on together, never been on. Eight to ten. <laughs> okay. Television 101, you do not put two comedies on together, never, You but never put four. And I think ABC... Or NBC today, September, have four new comedies on. Television 101. By the time we were on at 9 o'clock, the audience was watching Beretta and Charlie's Angels and shows that have been hits for years. And we went on the air, and it was a great show. It was socially challenging. Um, and, and John Rich of the New York Times, who hates television, said Sirota's Court would be sociologically disturbing if it wasn't so outrageously funny, which was our concept michael constantine was the judge fred um uh, fred dryer i mean fred willard's first job as the da and they didn't even cancel us 
<laughs> we just floated off into the sunset. We aired, we, we, we were never on two weeks in a row. That's how sensitive the show was. And we, everyone thought we had a hit reading all the reviews. I knew we were canceled before, before we finished shooting. That was a great disappointment because it was a game changer. For instance, All in the Family was a game changer. MASH was a game changer. This was a social game changer. And um, it was night court in the grubbiest, and Sirota had put the governor in jail, so they put him in night court. He had been a big judge. And uh, that was a big disappointment because I felt it was a socially, it was socially disturbing on the justice system. And this was 1977. And that was one of the big disappointments of my life. And one of the other disappointments that I wanted to talk about and, and uh, with you and uh, personal and professional, which was heartbreaking. Um, when you had your company, there was somebody who uh, ran your company who was near and dear to you and near and dear to me named Linda Mancuso. Mm -hmm. And uh, I wanted you to take a few minutes to talk about uh, well, that was terrible. Um, Linda Mancuso was head of children's and family programs at NBC, and we worked very close together. In fact, I remember the day Mario Lopez auditioned. She was sitting, at, she was fanning herself. And I said, who's that girl <laughs> in Brandon's office fanning herself? She was a great friend, a great supporter. And for 17 years, we talked every day on the phone. Um, or, and then... After several years, when we had our own company, she came over across, we call it across the street, but across Bob Hope Drive was our building, and became the president of my company. And um, she got cancer about um, late 90s, or about 2000. And she came to our house from the doctor. I remember Stephen took a hand. He was like eight, said, I'm sorry, or however old he was, uh, 13 years ago, he was about... 14 i'm sorry you're sick and we we um we were able to get her help her through it what happened was she had to shave her head so we had six shows remember i sent a memo we all can't shave our head on tuesday but we can all wear hats and that week 1600 people wore hats okay and a couple of guys at the network actually did um a shave their head but Everyone wore hats. Wherever she went, people were wearing hats. And, um, and then uh, she recovered. And I gave her a, we gave her a 40th birthday party in our backyard where she wanted to dance with her father one more time. And she did. And then everything was fine, we thought. And then um, it came back. And she would, you know, I never heard her complain. One day we were at... Ed Wilson's office. I can't remember where he was at the time. And we wait. She's cranky. And I go, long night? She went, cancer night. And it's the only <laughs> night through time. And, and it, it, was, it was really heartbreaking. Uh, and the last time I saw her, I mean, it was, it was terrible. And I was in Virginia, and I got a call from her brother that um, – I got a call from her brother that was the end. And I – and I got on a plane. It was had to come out anyway for the Saved by the Bell DVD voiceovers with the cast. You got the call that she was, but I was probably coming not, anyway. But she was probably gonna not going to make it. And I flew out to L.A. I got in the limo. I said, take me to St. Vincent's Hospital. And the phone rang. It was a brother, Rob, that she had 
died, passed away. And I was kind of, I, I was actually, I was actually relieved. I didn't want to see her. There were a lot of our guys were down there. David um, Tenzer, a lot of CA guys, a lot of my people were down there. I didn't want to see her like that. So I came, then McPherson and I gave the memorial at the Beverly Hills Hotel. And uh, I spoke one of the first, because I had to get, to, we were shooting at the improv. And, and I talked about how, um, what I remembered about Linda. You know, it was a very moving thing. I mean, I, I would cough for my, and she'd go, don't croak, Pete. She was the only one to call me Pete, except the Teamsters. And that's why she called me Pete, because she knew I hated it. And she'd go, don't croak. I go, don't you croak. And people would be get crazy when they would hurt her, because they knew she had, was dying. And we, that's how we got through it. Don't you croak on me. And I would say, don't you croak. Don't you croak on me. I'll never talk to you again. And Linda was wonderful. She was the heart and soul of our company. And, and I was going through my own problems just uh, prior to this. And she was a great, great friend and a great, great loss. Everyone loved Linda. Yeah. And Everyone was loved an Linda. Incredible relationship. And you, uh, you, at the, you were at the memorial. Yeah. It was, at the ama- Beverly Hills it, it was amazing. And Everyone she, was there. Amazing. All the cast from our shows were there. And uh, she was very, very inspirational. And uh, I guess as we wrap this up, I think uh, the best way to do it is to um, tell our audience, if you will, um, what advice do you have for a young person who wants to become a, a producer uh, or an executive in this in this town or a writer or anything? or oh. or And what advice do you have for a performer a, an actor an actress a comedian somebody who to break through and 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 make it and 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 make a difference i have several principles one you got to fall in love you got to fall in love with whatever you do if you're in a creative business i mean accounting i, I don't know about accountants falling in love you got to fall in love and you got to have your heart broken if you don't have that much pain you have passion you have to have passion. Um, I tell, I, when I went around the country, I did the three P's. Uh, professionalism, passion, and perseverance. And you've got to fall in love. And my heart was broken on that first primetime show, Sirota's Court. Broken. I was devastated. Um, and, and, but if you don't have your heart broken, that means you don't have the passion. And so professionalism, I would say the three P's, professionalism. You've, gotta be professional an actor has to know his lines uh he has to be on time he you have to be courteous you have to be in the scene it's not a game it's your job second you have to have passion my daughter had 19 jobs after she graduated from skidmore with a degree in child psychology she wanted to be a comedian but you know her partner Anna, and and she's a dad I can't do anything else. Lauren could do other things, but she couldn't do anything else. You have to have a passion. You have to have a passion. You have to lie on the floor of Brandon's Tartikoff's office. You have to go that extra mile. You have to say, you have to believe in what you're saying. Uh, and, 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 and you have to believe and you have to throw everything in it. And perseverance. You know, Winston Churchill had been thrown out of every school in in England, both preparatory school and university. And now he's the prime minister. And now he goes back, and this is what I, sorry, I always tell, he goes back to Harrod. 
where we had been thrown out of also. And he's the commencement speaker. And he gets up and he says, never, 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 never quit. And he sat down. That was the whole speech. And I'd say, you've got, if an actor, act anywhere. The writers never want to hear this from me. What should we do? Read. Read everything. Uh, one of my favorite books is McCullough's uh, uh, um, John Adams. The scene of George Washington trembling, can't shaking with the enormity of being the president, can't talk. I'm never going to do it. I'm never going to do a George Washington revolutionary thing. But that emotion is part of me now. You can't, you gotta have more experiences, just your life experiences, if you're gonna broaden your vision. You should write about what you know about. But I say to writers, write. Steve Cannell, one of the greatest in our business, he's right up there with, um, what's his name? Dick Wolf and Aaron Spelling. No one's up there with Aaron. <laughs> and he told me when he lectured one of my classes, he said that for five years, he wrote every single day five and a half days a week. When he he drive his father's furniture truck in the morning, he wrote for five years, and he never sold anything. But he was honing his craft. So I say to writers, write. I say to actors, act any way you can. Performers, perform wherever you can, and learn your craft. And that's the advice. And get, you got to fall in love, and you got to have your heart broken. If you haven't had your heart broken, what kind of shows you're developing? Well, it comes full circle, Peter, because you talk about heart and uh, and you're truly one of the most amazing people I've ever met oh. in the business. And I'm so grateful you're here. And uh, I mean, to do what you've done over a thousand episodes, 1,500, two Emmy nominations. Um, never won an Emmy. Never had a dinner. Never had a dinner. <laughs> Uh, what is that? Red buttons. Never Red had a buttons dinner. never had a dinner. Right. But, uh, Peter, thank you so much for coming. It's just been such an honor, and uh, our audience is going to love you. Thank wow. you so much, and good luck with the book, I Was Saved by the Bell. We'll be looking forward to it. Peter Engel, everybody. Thank you, my friend. And uh, everybody listening, listen, if you uh, like the show, uh, tell all your friends. And if you didn't like the show, tell all your friends. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the podcast. I want to talk to you about an amazing documentary that I worked on a few years back called I Killed JFK, which was unlike anything I ever did in my life. It centered on a man who'd been in prison for 30 years, was the only person in history to have admitted to killing Kennedy, and his story is unbelievable. He started as a runner for the mob. He was hired to drive two hitmen from that city around Dallas, and he ended up being the guy who calibrated their weapons. And he was there that day with one of his own and took the fatal shot that killed John F. Kennedy on the grassy knoll. His story, the footage, the interviews, never been seen before. You can't find them anywhere else except on this documentary. So go to barrycats.com to the merch page and buy the documentary with the rare interviews of the five greatest historical experts in the world. So just go to barrycats.com, the merch page, pick up the documentary and interviews, and I guarantee it will reverse the way you feel about what happened that day in 1963 and change your opinion of the government and how it works and alter the way you think about things forever.
Lastly, I want to talk to you about something really impactful and it involves something really close to my heart, self-education. You see, throughout my life, I realized that every success I've ever achieved in my career has come from the education I received from my experiences in the business. And I truly believe that we all have the knowledge inside of us that others would kill for. And by sharing that, we can open up an entirely new world of possibilities for ourselves. That's why I'm so excited to tell you that I partnered up with my friend Tony Robbins, who's been number one in this field for 40 years. Along with his team of experts, Dean Graziosi and Russell Brunson, they'll show you how to take that valuable knowledge in your mind and turn it into an incredibly profitable mastermind workshop or event, just like they have and continue to do in their careers. And they're launching a new training program that's literally changing people's lives by helping people like you be a part of this $129 billion a year business. So it's an incredible opportunity for someone like yourself to build your own business, share your knowledge, and help and serve people in a huge way with the guidance of Tony Robbins, the best in the business. He's actually going to teach people like you how to make big money and build a successful business. So if you're ready to take your life to the next level, they're doing a free live training session, barrykbb.com. That's B-A-R-R-Y-K-B-B.com. Look, I've done over 440 free podcast episodes of Industry Standard, and because of your incredible response, it's reinforced my belief that we're morally obligated to share and pass on our knowledge with the world and help other people in those ways. I truly believe this, and I really love this groundbreaking training program and how it can turn your knowledge into an extraordinary amount of money. So just go to barrykbb.com, that's B-A-R-R-Y-K-B-B.com, to this free training session with the best in the business, Tony Robbins. I guarantee you, it will change your life forever. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get all the money Drive that fancy car All the people love you Cause you're going far Life is for the dreamers They have all to gain It's never quite over Till it all feels you pick your own poison, dig your own grave down in the valley. A fortune.
Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to barrykatz.com. Before you leave, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast, leave a comment, and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support, and have a great day.